Hello, and welcome to Storyteller In-Depth, a podcast where we go behind the scenes to learn more about the School of Communications, Media Arts, and Designs, People, Places, and Things. I'm your host, Pat Quigley, and in this episode, we'll be speaking with Narmeen Lakani, a graduate of our children's media program and founder of her very own startup, Bird Wings Media, where she creates diverse content for preschool and school-age audiences that parents and educators can use to teach about Muslim contributions to society. She also offers consultation and training to youth-related industries on more equitable narrative representation. Narmeen will share why she launched Bird Wings Media, and we will dive into some of the reasons why inclusive storytelling and representation are so important, especially in children's media. Be sure to stick around. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be back at Centennial. Yeah, no, thank you for coming back and for chatting with us about you, um, most primarily, right, to to come onto the podcast. It's really, really cool. So just before we kind of begin, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and take listeners through the steps of starting Bird Wings Media and how the idea goes back to your time in the children's media program? Yeah, for sure. I was in the children's media program about five years ago. So I started 2017, finished 2018. And um, prior to that, I was in the media and communications industry for over 10 years, um, working in NGO and international development sectors. And my passion was always for social change and related somehow to, um, you know, identity. So I think the overall motivation for Birdwings Media goes back maybe even over 20 years ago to 9-11, growing up as a Muslim child in Bible Belt, like USA, like suburban Atlanta. And so um, that experience, I think, through 9-11, war on Iraq, uh, all these kind of media events really exposed me to the harsher realities of Um, how representation in media makes a huge impact, right? Children's media in particular. I never saw myself, you know, represented on TV or books or games or anything like that. But I had such a passion for them. They were sort of my um, sanctuary, you know, after school coming home to watch PBS Kids or um, the Scholastic Book Fair or things like that. Um, and, and I think I went more into like in my graduate studies, uh, leaned more uh, on research that showed how Muslims were mis- misrepresented in media. And so for a number of years, I was working more sort of in, in traditional media and communications and strategic communications. Um, and I felt that you know, at some point, it's very hard to change ideologies um, once people are adults, right? Like it's it's sort of ingrained. Um, and I, I thought, well, what if we look at promoting, you know, these notions of pluralism and diversity and inclusion from a young age in kids instead? And I had always like when I was younger, was like, oh, I want to write for Disney and you know, was a like used to write poetry and 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 you know win these school writing competitions and things. So I was always a creative person. Uh, but then I think the mission I had for for this media representation kind of took me on a more journalistic route. And so I wanted to go back and explore 
well, what does this kid's realm mean, right? And how do I combine those two passions of wanting to see um, more inclusive storytelling with, you know, my own kind of childhood memories of um, having really great educational content. Um, so I had no idea really that children's media was even an industry. I just sort of started with a blank page, you know, um, and that led me to reach out on LinkedIn and in various through various resources to professionals in the industry, whether that was in publishing, uh, whether that was in television, um, digital learning, all of those spaces uh, re relevant to kids. And one of those networking opportunities led me, led me to TVO Kids, where I met the creative director of the time. And she told me about this program at Centennial. Um, and I had recently finished my master's and uh, wasn't able to go back to school until a few years later um, to actually take the program. Um, and then while I was in the program, you know, uh, it, it provided such a great introduction to all different aspects of the industry. Um, and a lot of, I think, uh, tangible skills, right, like, like writing business proposals and writing pitch decks and things like that. So Birdwings Media came out of one of the business courses uh, in the program. And um, I remember even at that point, just from my own research, even in the children's media program, my focus was on, okay, how are um, youth Muslims being represented in kids media? So I found during my research, my own work, that I was having a really hard time finding reliable content or information online. There was no sort of this, you know, um, hub or like one credible source where you could go online and find uh, information about Muslim narratives, especially in the kids space. Um, and I, so I think that's where Birdwings Media started was through seeing my own gaps um, as a creator even, and then gaps in the industry and saying, well, how do, then how can I fill that gap, right? If, if no one else is doing it. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it's, it's such important information to share too, right? To, to get that out to people. So there's no misunderstanding, right? To, to give them that education gives them the power to become stronger adults when they grow up, right? To, to change that narrative makes it better for everybody. Exactly. I think, I mean, even, uh, and the reason I was looking at parents and educators as potential audiences was because I do, I mean, I, I do know a lot of like-minded people or, or people invested in wanting to show more inclusive content. But if you start Googling about Muslims online, you find a lot of inaccurate content, um, you know, misinformed stories, um, and, and just a really wide range. Like you, th there's so many um, complexities and layers uh, to Muslim narratives that you would have to understand to be able to navigate that space. So it, there was no sort of, I think, easy or simple platform. Um, in my head, I was thinking, well, how do I create like the national geographic of Muslim contributions to society, right? Um, or the PBS kids are kind of that one reliable space. Yeah, for sure. And one of those um, things that you create is Muslims in a Minute, which is your educational media channel with short form content for preschool and school age children. 
So what has your experience been like creating this content and how did you approach each topic for each age group? Well, I knew, I mean, both from a resource point of view and from how young audiences are consuming content today, I knew that I wanted to focus on short form content, you know, hence the name Muslims in a minute, because most of my videos or content are around a minute, you know, give or take. But um, because I think, you know, it's it's getting much harder and harder, even with myself and especially post pandemic to have the attention span to watch a full documentary or, you know, longer episodes or films or things like that. And just producing that level of content without um, really large budgets and resources, which is difficult also. So I felt that short form content would be a good place to start and test how young people um, respond to that content. Um, so for preschool, I wanted to try out kind of simple animations, focusing on uh, often a lot of firsts, right? So the first Pakistani female figure skater, the first Muslim woman in space, the first Stanley Cup winner. Um, uh, so Muslims who, who perhaps could be role models for them or, or whose stories um, you know, they could look up to. And, you know, um, I worked with an educator to provide uh, worksheets that can go for um, with each video for um, all students. Uh, so, you know, very universal concepts like if, uh, you know, the first Muslim woman in space, if uh, her dream as a child was to, you know, was looking at the stars and saying, well, how do I get there one day? So the worksheet might say, well, what do you dream of, you know? Um, this universal question, well, what do you want to do when you grow up, right? And um, how how does Anusha and Sari inspire you? So um, I think it was like an interactive way uh, for them to engage with that content. And one of the goals I had um, was uh, to, to incorporate this content into, you know, uh, lesson plans and, and see it in the education system. Often we only hear of Muslim stories during Ramadan or Islamic Heritage Month or certain, you know, kind of token times throughout the year. But there's no reason the story about the first Muslim woman in space can't be in the science curriculum. You know, it's 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 not about only showing Muslims in religious studies courses or in, uh, you know, certain times, holiday times, holiday celebrations, Eid, Ramadan, things like that. It's about well, what are the everyday stories and contributions that they've made? Um, so really, I, I think with the preschool content, it was a lot, a lot kind of almost creating um, a world of heroes, you know, that they could look up to. And then the grades four to six, a little bit of the school age content um, is very much comes out of my travel log um, across Pakistan. And uh, so that covers so many things from history. So if I was in certain parts of the country where there was a lot of history of the Mughal Empire, um, you know, they learn about that. They learn about Islamic architecture. Um, they learn about different sports or cuisines or music and art um, and uh, how people uh, kind of incorporate their faith or beliefs 
uh, into that sense of community and the work that they do on an everyday basis um, as I was traveling um, through these different communities. So I hope that parents and educators will find them useful starting points just to show kind of the breadth of Muslim narratives, right? That it's not limited to um, particularly theological themes necessarily. Um, you know, I mentioned on my website that my approach to showcasing Muslim narratives um, has largely been through the lens, uh, through a social cultural lens rather than a theological one, because I think, you know, there are so many different uh, interpretations of Islam. Um, so it's not to, you know, expose people to any one interpretation but rather to show um, how people uh, practice Islam through their everyday life. Because in, one of the interesting things that I want, uh, even when I do kind of education sessions for the workplace about inclusion, is that, you know, as Muslims, um, faith and world are intertwined. So your being a Muslim is not something you leave at the door where you, when you enter a soccer field or the classroom or anything like that. So it's, it's, you know, being a Muslim is a part of all aspects of your life. So if you're, you know, one of the videos I have is with an artist. And so he paints, uh, he's a miniature uh, painter who paints a lot of mountains and the reflection of light on the mountains to him is a reflection of his faith and, and Noor, right? The light of God and how that inspires him to paint these beautiful sunsets, you know? So that to me is a Muslim narrative without, you know, necessarily going into particular um, forms of interpretation. That's so cool. It, it's true, like, to think about how to tell those stories and to share those things, right, with, with such a, a large audience. And being able to make it more than than like like you just said, more than just that one time of year, right? To to share things with people, it's it's incredible. It truly is incredible to to be able to share those things with people. So thank you. Um, and and you did say that you were traveling across Pakistan. So can you share a little bit about how this trip came to be, and and what type of content are you creating there? Yeah, I you know I was born in Pakistan, but my family migrated to the U.S. 30 years ago. And then in the last few years, I had been coming back and forth, you know, um, something I think uh, inside was invoking me in a way to reconnect, right, if, uh, with my own cultures and traditions. Because if I'm, at the end of the day, my broader goal is to, um, uh, you know, infuse more Muslim narratives or expose Western uh, systems to more Muslim narratives, then I think I also wanted to uh, reconnect a bit more with the diversity of narratives in um, the country where I was born. And it also seemed, I mean, if I had unlimited resources, I would have loved to spend some time traveling the entire Muslim world so I could really showcase the diversity of, you know, from one region to another. But with the limitations I had, the simplest sort of starting point was to come back to Pakistan, which is the second largest Muslim country in the world by population. 
And so I wanted to use that as a case study almost to show that, okay, just traveling across Pakistan, look at the wide range of cultures and traditions that I'm um, discovering, right? So all that to say, can you imagine throughout the entire world what that diversity looks like? Because I think one of the major stereotypes that we uh, as Muslims really struggle to challenge still is this idea of a singular narrative or a monolithic image of Muslims, right? Um, a lot of negative stereotypes, you know, especially uh, about, uh, you know, access to education or women's rights or many things like that. And that's not to say that like any other community that some of those narratives, negative narratives are not true. It's just that those negative narratives have been extrapolated and projected to seem like the full narrative, right? Which is where I wanted to address the gap by saying, look, but no, there are all these like, you know, uh, other narratives that challenge those stereotypes. So um, I was uh, like, I have one sub kind of series within my travel blog that's celebrating Muslim entrepreneurs and a lot of them are women. And so there's one uh, women's social enterprise in this very remote area of Northern Pakistan in the mountains, which teaches women carpentry. And so I was filming this woman, you know, uh, wearing a hijab and a chainsaw in her hand. And I was like, this is the image I want people to see, right? That this is an empowered woman, you know, uh, just because she, uh, she looks a certain way or is from a certain part of the world. We can't be making assumptions um, about the limitations placed on them, right? Um, so, uh, you know, and then in each kind of different region of the country, um, I got to experience a lot of different things. And some of my favorite aspects. Um, I wasn't just kind of working with kids or interviewing kids. Sometimes I was, sometimes it was, you know, broader stories. But some of my favorite interactions were just kind of goofing off with random children. Um, because then you really are able to show that, look, they're kids just like everybody else, you know. So I was in this small village. One of my favorite videos uh, and a lot of my followers' favorite videos was one I did in the small village, again, very remote village near the Afghanistan border. It's called Chipursen. And this is a village that has so many resource challenges. Um, just to give you an idea of the climate there, I was there in June. And at night, I had to wear my Canadian down feather winter jacket and two blankets to go to sleep in June. And so their winters, right, like January and, uh, you know, so on are incredibly harsh. But I was there in June and just randomly went to a polo ground. Polo is a very popular sport in northern Pakistan. And these kids, because of course they don't have access to horses, had created these metal cycles, uh, invented their own form of polo and were trying to teach me how to play it. Um, and even while I was filming my vlog and they were participating in it, you know, they're making all these silly faces. They are giggling the whole time because they're camera shy, all of that. So 
we had a great time and it was just this everyday universal childhood experience, you know, in a context that is so, so different from um, many parts of North America that I've lived in. That's so cool. It's, it's so interesting. Like you, like you even said that, you know, they're not different from what people would consider from, you know, North American culture. Right. And just to see that just the relationship between the two is, is so, so interesting. Has there been any new insights you've picked up along the way uh, as you've been creating content? So many, I think one of the things that was really important to me in doing this work, and, and I say this right off the bat on my website, is that this is a learning experience for me as well in challenging my own biases because the Muslim world is so vast that you know I am one out of two billion perspectives. So as I was traveling, um, learning to challenge my own biases, um, learning to embrace new perspectives, um, to not judge situations or places that were unfamiliar to me was a very similar exercise to what I'm, you know, trying to ask other people to do for myself or, you know, Muslim narratives at large. But I think even within um, the Muslim Ummah, uh, there's a lot of learning to be done. Um, and so um, Northern Pakistan was the first time I've ever lived in a rural context. I've always grown up in like suburbs or really large cities. So um, the challenges of a rural context are very different. Um, I really had to acknowledge my own privilege. I really had to, um, even when looking at education systems or uh, socioeconomic systems or things like that, I really had to try to separate. And I struggled with this. I, I think it's so, it, sometimes it just takes time to really immerse yourself in a community um, and understand the layers um, and, and the history of that community before you can come to any kind of conclusion. Um, and so I think like, for example, even if I looked at the role of women in that society, um, women's empowerment might look very different than it looks in other parts of the world, you know? And so you can't uh, sort of compare apples to oranges, I think was uh, my biggest takeaway is really to keep an open mind um, about everything and challenge myself as much as possible to not uh, limit my understanding of other people's narratives uh, to based on my own frame of reference or my own experience growing up, you know? Um, so learning to, and, and so I can really appreciate, right, that inclusion is hard work. It's not easy. It's not meant to be easy. I think we often take it for granted as, well, as just called being a good human being. It is, I agree. But that takes a conscious, I think it's an um, active effort. I don't think it's something passive. 
that we just walk into a world that's completely different from the world we're used to or, or that we've been raised in and assume that we're going to understand other people or that they're going to understand us. You know, and that is a universal experience anytime we're placed in different contexts or, or with people different from ourselves. And it's such, there's such beauty in those differences. Um, once we're able to get to this, this place of real human connection at the end of the day, because that, that's where, you know, there is this um, elderly woman in, in the community who every single day she was like, uh, I, she didn't speak my language, I didn't speak her language. But through our actions or expressions, she just was always, uh, you know, um, showing me so much affection and um, like treated me like a daughter and always welcomed me and all these things. People invited me into their home um, and, and beautiful, beautiful experiences, even though we had nothing maybe, you know, externally in common. And I, I think it was one of the more, that process, that journey, internal journey, was one of the most challenging but rewarding experiences of my life. And I think really will serve me and has informed how hopefully I continue to approach the work of equity and inclusion with a lot of compassion. Because it's not, we can't expect people to just walk up and, and understand who we are. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, you also sit on the advisory committee for the children's media program. Uh, can you share how you approach this role and the ways you think academic institutions or art storytelling programs in particular can make efforts to be more inclusive in their curriculum? Definitely. I think this is a really important um, aspect. My philosophy when it comes to um, changing the narrative and the work I do is really be to be compassionate with people, but to hold systems accountable. And you know, media and education systems play a huge role um, in social change. And so I think we have to be increasingly thoughtful about how we design curriculum um, and then you know how we um, design media structures. So um, myself and a lot of other alumni from the program sit on the advisory committee. And I think one of the advantages I've had in my life is to live in different parts of the world. Um, and so I really try to advocate for more globalization um, in storytelling, because I think, you know, in that sense, the world is getting smaller and smaller, right? So we can't just look at the industry, even if the program is based in Toronto, I think it's to everyone's advantage to look at it globally, you know, because I think um, every Canadian is connected or every Canadian child is connected to another child in the world. Uh, 
so I think inclusivity in that sense is really important to me and, and something I've been um, pushing for. Um, and second, I mean, the industry is changing so, so rapidly, you know, and so um, understanding how we can have more diverse voices, more authentic voices, um, but also how we can help people like myself who want to create their own space, right? While we're waiting for um, these bigger systems to change and catch up to us, how do we prepare creators um, to take advantage of, you know, uh, spaces that are more accessible, right? So for example, social media, uh, where I'm posting my vlog, you know, is a more like democratized space, right? Where you don't need to go through kind of pitches and, and there are less barriers to entry. So how do we support creators to leverage um, spaces or technology or innovative methods um, that help their voices get heard or amplified um, in a way that maybe traditional media systems didn't accommodate. Yeah, and also like thinking about just the um, representation, right? Representation matters to so many uh, young developing children in our world that, you know, the more you're able to share somebody on screen or somebody through a device or however they're watching the medium they're watching or listening to, makes them feel special and important in, in, in such an inspiring way that they see themselves and like, I can do that too. I can be that person or I can aspire to something more than what it would have been 15, 20 years ago, right? 100%. I mean, um, I once had a meeting with a senior media executive and I told him that I think like in passing, I told him that, you know, one of my nephews is hesitant to identify publicly as Muslim in his friend circles and he was absolutely floored you know that this was happening in a country like Canada in 2023 right so I think often we don't realize the impact that you know this, this has on youth to be able to fully be themselves um, in, in whatever space they choose Switching gears a little bit, um, we're going to talk a little about Islamic History Month, which is recognized across Canada each October. And it's a great opportunity to recognize, learn, and share more about Muslim heritage and past and present Muslim contributions to society. Uh, what are some of your recommendations that either parents, educators, or even adults themselves can do to honor this month and foster greater inclusivity in the media they engage with? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm excited to return home to Canada, specifically for Islamic Heritage Month, and I'm working with a number of studios and workplaces to conduct education sessions on uh, Muslim representation and, and religious inclusion in the workplace and topics like that. Um, but Islamic Heritage Month is a great opportunity because often I think um, Islamophobia is you know, this concern like this, that is, is, you know, gone under the radar in Canada and in, in um, certain spaces where I think most people don't know that 
it's there's research, right? There's statistics and research that shows that um, Islamophobia today is much worse than it was at 9-11 over 20 years ago, which nobody knows this. I think it's just more, maybe it's not people um, smashing windshields like they did in my place of prayer at that time, but it's very much ingrained this fear. Um, research shows that Muslims are the most um, misunderstood or disliked group in Canada. Um, so I think it's really, really important to use this opportunity to dialogue, to create safe spaces, um, and, and begin to uh, affect change. The hate crimes against Muslims in Canada um, every year are rising exponentially. And so for me, you know, the sense of urgency sort of outweighs the fear. So I hope people will really, whether it's in classrooms or in their homes, conversations with their kids or in the workplace or whatever it is, really take this time to acknowledge first the um, research or the challenges that Muslims in Canada are facing and how it affects all of society because Canada is by and large a pluralistic society. We celebrate that. You know, and, and people in the world admire us for that. And so really um, taking an inward look at um, how we can do better, you know, on that front, not just for Muslim communities, for all communities, of course. Um, so uh, many different ways um, on my website and social media, I will, um, this, you know, Islamic Heritage Month in particular, because it is a Canadian um, observation is to celebrate and highlight uh, specifically more Canadian contributions um, by Muslims, to um, uh, celebrate a lot of authors and highlight other stories. So uh, I was part of a Muslim storytellers group in North America, a kid-led group. And so um, I have done a bunch of interviews with other Muslim authors and their journey as storytellers and, and the stories they're trying to tell and how diverse they are. Um, so I'll be highlighting those stories um, and their interviews as creators, as creative people. Um, and um, also kind of doing sessions, like I mentioned, education sessions with a number of people in the children's media industry. Um, so I think you know, and, and I am happy to support anybody who reaches out, even just to ask for resources on where they can get started to learn uh, about different Muslim narratives. I think um, one of the things I would encourage people is to explore a range of voices. Because again, like I mentioned, mine is just one perspective or one voice. There's so many different creators and writers and, you know, filmmakers, um, scientists, artists, you know, people of um, all industries and trades who are Muslim and have different voices to express. Um, so I think, you know, my goal with my work was just to um, expose people to that breadth of voices, right? That there's not just one voice. 
Um, so I would really encourage people when they're doing their own, putting in their own efforts and work also to search for those voices, to hear as many of them as possible, not just one or two. For sure. And if people wanted to follow you or to check out the, the content that you're creating, how would they do so? Um, so I have an Instagram channel, it's at birdwings.media and a website, um, birdwings.org. Uh, those are the two primary places where I will be updating content regularly and uh, posting new Muslim stories. So I look forward um, to sharing that with them with more and more people. Yeah, and I can't wait to see all the content that you're going to be putting out. I know I'm going to be, you know, following you on Instagram and, and checking out the website every day. Uh, through October to see what's going to be coming up. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much again for having me. And uh, I appreciate, I think it's a really uh, gratifying feeling to come back to your alma mater after five years and, and reflect in a way this has given me an opportunity to reflect on my journey over those past five years too, and how um, Centennial sort of um, helped me kind of create that launch pad into this journey. Thank you so much, Narmeen, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. Your content is truly incredible, and I encourage everyone listening to this to check it out. You can learn more about Narmeen and her work, including links to her, her social media channels at www.birdwings.org. We have more amazing episodes on the way, and we cannot wait for you to join us. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Story Arts Center for episode updates and even more. Until next time, I'm your host, Pat Quigley, and this is Storyteller in Depth.